Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Rootless Living Podcast at episode number 63. My name is Damien Ross, and besides being the host of this podcast, I'm also the publisher of the Rootless Living Magazine. If you haven't already for some reason, head over to rootlessliving.com and grab a free digital subscription and start reading the only magazine that is covering what it's like to have a life that is still full of travel while you're working, aka being a digital nomad. So on this episode, I get to chat with Mike of RB Lifestyle, and we get to talk about what it's like kind of pivoting your career and starting to create content about, no pun intended here, the RV lifestyle. But like always, before I say too much, let's get into the episode. Podcaster, so double recorded. And then uh, my I'll add an intro later. So for right now, I'm just going to say I want to welcome Mike to the show. So we'll do like five seconds of quiet and then the show will start. All right, with that, I want to welcome Mike to the show. Mike, how are you? I am doing great, Damien. That's awesome. I was great just, to be with you. Yeah, it's really cool. I was on your podcast, which we'll talk about not too long ago, and then, you know, obviously invited you, and I'm stoked that you're here. Now, for just kind of just some little rapid stuff, where are you currently right now? Right now, I am on uh, Okaloosa Island, Florida, in the panhandle of Florida, uh, about mm, 50 yards from the Gulf of Mexico. I got to admit, though, I'm in a condo, so... <laughs> My RV is out in the parking lot, but uh, uh, but I'm on the Gulf. Nice. Do you consider yourself full-time, part-time, sometime? What would you consider yourself? We're about three-quarter timers. Uh, now, last year was a crazy year, right? So I was probably on the road half the year still last year, but we are about three-quarters timers. We have this place in Florida. We actually rent it out, and I'm down here. I always come down this time to get it ready for the rental season, which in the panhandle is uh, like a May through the middle of the end of August. Uh, so we, we do that and we then use this as a base to explore and travel. And then uh, I have a place in Michigan, which is, has, has been our traditional uh, family home. And we're there, you know, a couple, three months of the year. Nice. What are you traveling in, in between Florida and Michigan, and then obviously all over the Ooh. country? Well, our, our RV is a Class C. It's a leisure travel vans. It's uh, This is the second uh, of the leisure vans that we had. We had a Unity on the Sprinter chassis last for a couple of years. And then last uh, June, I really wanted to try this Ford Transit that everybody keeps talking about. And so uh, we found one of their models that we liked. And it's called the Wonder. It's a rear bed, rear twin bed model. And it's a, a Class B plus is what they market it as, but it's really a small class C. Nice. Now, when you say we, who are you talking about? I think most people I'm know talking about it's... my, uh, my lifelong traveling companion and my bride, Jennifer. Uh, and, uh, we, uh, we've been on the road now. This is our starting our 10th year, our 10th year of doing this. I thought I was going to retire, Damien. <laughs> <laughs> it's turned into, more than a full-time job for us, but it's also, oh my gosh, I wish I had done this, you know, decades and decades ago. Well, let's get into that. So 10 years ago, um, what brought on the idea of full-time or, you know, even part-time, sometime RVing? Was it retirement? Like, take me back to 10 years ago and the conversation. Well, 10 years ago, uh, I most of my career, all my career has been as a journalist. I started in radio. I went to newspapers and I worked, uh, and then I moved to television and I have uh, worked at, uh, I just, uh, up until a year ago, I was still doing weekly technology reports for NBC TV stations all across the country, working for the NBC uh, news channel organization. So I was a journalist and most of my career, I was an investigative journalist and I traveled a lot. And, uh, I don't think I'm saying anything that people aren't aware of. The media is not what it used to be in the profession of journalism sorely needed today is uh, difficult to practice because of all the corporate uh, stuff without getting into all the crazy politics. Uh, it just was, it just became uh, a chore to do. Uh, it was harder to navigate the politics of media than it was to do the actual investigative reporting. So I, I got burned out. And after about 35 years, uh, I walked out of a, uh, a multi-year contract with a major market TV station I was working for at the time. And I said, that's it. Um, and I had done so much traveling in my career. I'd done a lot of freelance television as well as my wife uh, did with me as a producer that I thought, wouldn't it be fun now to, now that we're on our own, just to, just to 
to figure out what we want to do. Uh, we didn't, we always wanted to work, but we didn't want to, we just didn't want to work for other people. Let's, um, let's take a break and let's go visit all these places that I went to as a journalist. Cause I would go in and it was all, it was all ridiculous. I, I would, I would go into a major story and we would use, you know, the skyline or the mountains as a backdrop for my stand up, And I'd, and that's Mike Wendland reporting from Boulder and I'd get on a plane and go to another story. And so I, and I remember thinking so many times, boy, I wish I could stay here. I wish it was a weekend. I could, I could look around, see what's out here, go climb that mountain, go sit on that beach. And um, so I thought, you know, what better way to do this with an RV? And that's what we started to do in 2012 was our first, uh, first time out in March of 2012. And as a, you know, cause I, I, I'm a reporter, a writer, a journalist at heart. I always want to tell a story. So I started a blog initially for just family and a few friends and some of my friends in the media started to follow it and said, oh, man, we want to do that. And they passed it on to other people. And some of them mentioned it on the air or in, in the newspaper. And lo and behold, people started coming that I didn't know who they were <laughs> and reading my stuff. And it grew and it grew and it grew. And here we are today. It is now I probably work 60 hours a week producing content and creating content. But um, we're still traveling and doing what we wanted to do. And more importantly, we're working for ourselves and what we want to do uh, rather than uh, than somebody else. I think it's so important working for yourself, even if it's, you know, just half of your income or a third of your income, I think is important. But one of the things I want to talk about too real quick, did you have any RV experience before 2012? Was that something you did at all? Uh, yeah, I did. I was a, uh, we were uh, campers uh, all of our married life, I think when we first were married, we, we picked up a small little towable, a little 13 foot Shasta. <laughs> they now sell, that's how long ago this was. They now sell it as a retro, the same model <laughs> we had. Awesome. It was just really cool. And then we, uh, we, we, we went down to a pop-up, a Coleman pop-up and we had three kids with us and a dog at that time. And then as our kids grew, uh, we went to uh, tents and really like tents. We tended everywhere. And then uh, I kind of the last uh, probably in the, from the the 80s on, I just well, even the 80s, we did a lot of tending. But the 90s were was so intense with work that uh, we didn't do a whole lot, but we missed it. You know, we both are big outdoor people. We love the outdoor. My wife is a fitness instructor. She likes to hike and do stuff. And so we think the RV is perfect because we can go visit all these places and do all sorts of stuff. And um, we jumped right back in and we went to class B's. We were in class B's for probably eight of the seven of the last uh, nine and a half years. And then we switched uh, upgraded just a little bit higher to a, a little more room in a class C primarily because of doing our podcast and doing all of our video editing and you know the task of setting up and getting all the gear ready. And it was particularly hard in a class B in a van and it's still challenging in a class C, but I do have a little bit more room and, and it's easier to set up because I do, we do work from the road. Yeah. Without a doubt. Did you have the Florida place when you hit the road or is no, it just a Michigan? Home? No, we, 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 uh, we found the, this is an area of Florida that isn't, doesn't a lot of people don't know about it. They do in the South. They, some people used to call it the, uh, the hillbilly uh, coast, you know, but it's, uh, it's the panhandle of Florida absolutely drop dead the best beaches we found anywhere and uh, we liked it we it's this area is known as the emerald coast because of the the caribbean colors of the water it looks like you're in the caribbean and uh just beautiful beaches and we liked it we kept coming back and coming back and we uh, we were actually at an rv park about a mile and a half from our condo and some some of our followers found us there and invited us to dinner at their condo and we came to that building that they were in and lo and behold, we fell in love with it. And, uh, there were, uh, we bought a condo there. <laughs> we, so we ended up, uh, from some, from our followers who found us, Kathy and Les, who are now part of our dear friends. And, uh, we've been in this condo for about five years, but, uh, yeah, it's all because of the RVing that we found this area and, and just, just love it. I think it's, it's strange to me that there's this idea that, you know, it's either full-time or nothing. And 
And I yeah. think that's really just a wrong kind of attitude. Like I honestly, I mean, I know you're saying that your travel schedule is, you know, basically like two thirds, but I think ultimately um, you're still full timing. You know what I mean? Like it, we, I, you get into these debates with people and I think if you own a piece of property and you're renting it out and you visit it once a year, are you still full timing? Of course you are. If you stay a couple months and, you know, just kind of recalibrate, get a bunch of work done and then get back on the road. So you're refreshed and ready to do it. Are you still full time? Sure you are. It, it's weird that people find it in different mindsets, but I just, I haven't. Well, liked- you know, it's, it's become like a, a weird status symbol of right. people who are brand new to the RV lifestyle that or full timers. And it's almost like they look down at others who aren't. Well, the fact of the matter is I can tell you after 10 years that almost everybody that I know who have been quote full timers quit and come off the road. Some of them as soon as a year or two, uh, there's a five-year time period where a lot of them will then come off the road. By seven or eight years, most of them are no longer full-timers, and many are doing just what we did. Right. Um, it is a full-time lifestyle for us, you know, it, because it's also my job. When I'm at a sticks and bricks house, I'm, I've got a studio set up somewhere, and I'm I'm editing, and I'm working, and I'm I'm writing, and I'm doing stuff all about you know the RV lifestyle. So we're always in it. And because our RV is small enough, I also use my RV as our as a vehicle, as our tran- main transportation vehicle. Uh, in Michigan, it's our second vehicle. And here in Florida, it's how I get along, how I get around. I can pull into most parking spots and and uh, it's very comfortable to drive. So, you know, the whole idea of what's, what's a full-timer is uh, uh, there are, I maintain much fewer full-timers and that, I mean, people who have have sold everything and that's all they do than uh, those who claim to be on YouTube, <laughs> like, <laughs> if you know what I'm saying. Without a doubt. No, I agree. So in 2012, was the idea to be retired? I mean, I know you were going to, you know, your passion and your strengths are in kind of reporting. You're going to keep that going. But was the idea to be retired and then it just kind of stormed into this? Well, I did, quote, retire from uh, the TV station I was working at that time, big NBC affiliate. And I didn't want to stop working. So I decided, well, we'll build up a freelance business. And uh, I was able to continue. I was doing weekly technology reports for NBC network. And so I continued doing that. Actually, I continued doing that until just last fall. And I finally had to give that up. It was just too, too much to do because this end of it has all grown so much. So I knew I was going to do something and I figured, well, I'll freelance and uh, you know, the, the, our kids were grown and you know, we'll just kind of take some time and see what we want to do. And it, this became even more consuming than all my uh, journalism days. And uh, I had no idea that it would develop into this. I mean, we've now produced uh, 12 books and, um, you know, we do a podcast, we do a couple of videos a week on YouTube and fresh content on the blog every single day. And, uh, it's, it's turned into, uh, a publishing, uh, empire. I, I kind of joke because, uh, it's much more than I ever envisioned, but we had no idea it would, it would end up this way. And I never thought that it would end up in something that could actually give us, make a living for us. But, um, we know we got in just at the right time, 2012, every, the industry was coming out of the recession. Um, we had our first sponsors actually call us. It was like, what, you guys want to sponsor us? What is that all about? You know? And, and uh, you know, cause they were trying to find ways to get business back after the recession of 2008, 2009, that devastated so many RV RV businesses. And then it's just continued and we've grown and, and scale. And, um, and it's just been, it's been a great time. I mean, I, we pinch ourselves every morning cause it's just so much fun were you and do- still rewarding personally, you know? Oh, I bet. Were you doing video? I mean, I know you were doing video for like the news stations. Were you doing personal video at all before hitting the road? Uh, no, I did. You know, I edited, uh, when I first started in television, we had like five people that went out on every story. I was the reporter, the on-air person. And there was a producer and there was a, a, a videographer. There was a sound guy. And when I first started, we even sent a lighting guy out. Well, the lighting guy was the first to go as technology got better and the gear became smaller. And then the the sound guy got uh, let go and it was the videographer who was doing sound and video. And then the producer was gone. And then it was just me and a photographer who did all of that. And then at the very end, we all became one man bands. Right. Um, 
I embraced the internet really early on. My first website was in 20, it was in 1994. And, uh, and it was, it was real clear to me then that the internet was going to change everything. And so I, I learned to edit and I learned, uh, storytelling with video and I, I was doing that on television and TV, but not personal stuff like we do now where, you know, we become the vehicle by which we show the story. And that just evolved, you know, over 10 years, uh, we still probably do our style is still probably a little bit more traditional uh, television journalism. Uh, it's, it's awkward to suddenly be the focus of your own stories, you know, and that's what you do when you, when you blog and you become the, that whatever a uh, so-called influencer is, but uh, basically we had those skills and we were developing a pretty active freelance business. Even before I left mainstream journalism, we traveled all over the world. Jennifer and I did, and, and we're producing and, and doing our own videos for various clients. And, uh, so it was a natural for us to just jump in. And now, of course, all you need is a cell phone and you can record, you know, really great quality video. Uh, and I like that part of this uh, job too. I really do. I love the technology that's involved. And in I mean, look at you, look at what we're doing. We're talking over the internet, you and me, and you're making a podcast out of this. I mean, this is awesome. Awesome. Yeah, it is interesting if you have a background. I mean, your background's a lot more deep than mine in regards to, you know, creating content, even analog content, which we'll consider, you know, newspapers and things like that. I mean, I owned a magazine, a newspaper in the 90s and the early 2000s. But the digital side of things, it's so different to even when I look back at what it took. You know, both my parents were in television. What it took to like just even film a commercial and what it takes today and how you and I both really, we have studios in our pockets, in our, you know, just in our phone. It's bananas to me when I think about it. Oh, oh it, it, it truly is. When I was 12 years old growing up in Bay City, Michigan, uh, I started, uh, I had a friend who was kind of the, the equivalent of a geek back then who was into radio. Uh, first, we got into amateur radio, ham radio. I still do that. I still probably have ham radio gear all over the place. But we started an illegal radio station that we programmed in the early 60s in our neighborhood. And then I, in my high school year, I went to a real radio station. And I, in my senior year in high school, I signed on that station. It was a dawn to dust station. I signed it on at, you know, sun up every morning, would take a break at seven or eight in the morning, go to school until 11, come back and run the board during the noon hour and then come back at night and sign off. And I loved radio. And uh, that's one of the reasons I jumped to doing a podcast about six years ago. Cause it was like, it's like radio and only you're not, it's so easy to do. It's so fun to do. And uh, this is technology. I mean, what you can shoot with an iPhone for video is amazing. And uh, it just keeps getting better and better. So I think uh, a key for this is kind of like being a geek too, is really enjoying all that, uh, the creativity that you can do now with, with stuff, as you say, that you carry in your pocket. No, it's great. And I, I like that my background's kind of like I'm a mix of a jock and a geek. Like I could relate to both. And so it's made kind of this active lifestyle fun for me, but then I also really still geek out on all the, the tech and the things you can do. I mean, I'm, I'm someone that always says, you know, the good news is everyone can create content. The bad news is that everyone can create content, you know, and it's, yeah, it, there yeah, is yeah. a, I mean, I like, I like the accidental content creators like yourself in a sense that like the, the idea wasn't to get into an RV and start creating content and getting sponsorships and, you know, growing. And I'll use the term empire. I think you, I mean, if you're having that many different things going on, you've got staff helping you. It's exactly what you're doing. It wasn't your intent. It's, you know, it's, it's accidental in a way. And I think a lot of people, when you hear about people, it's like, well, we started our YouTube channel so family and friends can see it. They have become successful, especially, you know, based on the time that they started it. I do feel bad for people that buy an RV and buy a camera and say, okay, I'm going to go do what these people did and have a purpose of creating content to monetize it doesn't always work out. It adds a lot it's, more stress to it. It's so true. We, we, uh, well, when we were doing RV shows, there's been very few few in-person ones now, but when we go to an RV show, like the, the last one we went to at Tampa, I, I bet every, I bet 
10 times a day, people were coming up to us and saying, Hey, we just started a YouTube channel or we're starting a podcast and uh, you know, we're, we're going to, we're going to be full timers and it's going to pay our way. And I thought, well, good luck with that. You know, it takes time. And they would say, well, how do I, how do I get 130,000 followers on YouTube? And for a while I would say, well, uh, be a journalist for 40 years and uh, know how to tell a story and report a story and and spend 10 years building an audience and uh, learning how to work with social media. And then you can do it. They automatically think, and I think so many people get into it and they say, well, we're just going to be YouTube stars. And that's like saying, because I, I play pretty good uh, football in, in high school, that I'm going to be an NFL star. Right. I mean, there's so many people trying to make money at this. And then there's so many big corporations now subsidizing other people, um, you know, with the so-called fake reality, you know, reality TV, which is half fake, that people think that you become an instant success. And it is like anything else. And in fact, I think it's a little more challenging. I think now because there's so much content out there that you have to work harder and longer and, and have much more drive and ambition to make it uh, as a blogger or as a YouTuber or as a podcaster than you did even five, six years ago. Yeah, I think it really, at, at this point, you know, 2021, I think it has to be really niched in a sense that I think, you know, when you started 10 years ago, even five years ago, it could be pretty vague and, you know, we're RVers and that would draw people in. I think about the people that in 2016, I was thinking about going full time and I discovered that people actually did this outside of retirement and started watching their YouTube channels. You know, over time, you it, you just kind of fade away because it's not the niche, you know, it's I'm not traveling with kids. And so maybe I won't watch a show that's traveling with kids. I'd rather watch a show where someone's traveling and working because that's what I'm doing. And but that's a small following. There's not a know, a, a huge, I mean, they, they say there's about a million people that are traveling while still working. And, but even then of those million, how many people are watching YouTube and how many people can relate to you because of your age, your sex, your religion, you know, all these different things that they want to see in themselves. So it can be really difficult for people when they get started thinking they're going to have instant success. Um, and I think, I think you, you said something really important and it's knowing your niche or, at least your audience. Uh, when we first started, I was just telling stories. And I was like, look at this. Is this cool? And and people liked it. But as we have grown and so many people have come into it, we have fully embraced our audience. Our audience is probably uh, 45 to, to 90. I mean, uh, it's, uh, you know, the baby boomers are a huge part of our audience. Uh, you know, and I don't shy away from that at all. We're not... Uh, you know, we're not climbing up on the roof of our RV and doing yoga poses. Uh, nobody does that except people on Instagram. Right. And my wife, my wife did it. <laughs> we were out at Quartzsite and uh, she did it. She climbed up on the roof and did a yoga pose. And she did that only because she was mad at me for climbing up on the roof and taking, a, I was getting a panorama from of the BLM land out there at Quartzsite. And she had just said, don't you climb up on that roof now. You're going to fall off. Well, you don't see the millennials being told they're going to fall off. So I climbed up and I took the shot. Well, she climbed up thinking I was going to get really mad that, you know, hey, don't climb up there. You're going to fall off. Instead, I just started taking pictures of her. And that's where she did this crazy yoga pose. Well, we posted it as a gag, as a spoof on all these millennials who all go stand on the roof of their RV and strike yoga poses. And people, hey, that was a great photo. That was really good. And I said, oh my gosh, you didn't get it. <laughs> so my audience is not the yoga posers. And I am, and, and I just, and I'm not, I'm not after any particular target group. I'm not targeting any of our stuff. We're just living our life and sharing it. And, um, but probably, you know, uh, knowing who our audience is, uh, I'm really comfortable with that. And, and um, the stories we hear from them about how the RV lifestyle has just uh, given them depth and meaning and community and meant so much to them. It's really is exciting because it is a great lifestyle. Yeah, I think being true to yourself and then being true to your audience that finds you and appreciates you is important too. I mean, you can set goals where we want, let's say, a young audience. You know, we want to inspire the youth to think about this. And if that's just not what's resonating, those people aren't watching, I don't think you should really continue to make that content. You know, it's, 
You're, if, you, if, yeah. you, if you own a restaurant, everyone's coming in every day and asking for a certain type of meal. You might want to rethink your menu. You know, it's like that kind of a thing. But I think the idea of looking across the street and seeing what that restaurant's doing and saying, okay, we're going to copy their menu is a recipe for disaster, which I think a lot of the content creators have is they'll look at what someone else is doing. They'll try to copy everything they're doing, their voices, their their rig, like everything. And it just fails because it's not them. And, you know, I think yeah. you just need to be you. Yeah. And, and, and I think it, it, it's true of any, anything that has to do with content and creation and trying to make an income of it. You, you, you don't do it to make the money. You do it because you got to do it. It's, it's who you are. You want to communicate, you want to share, you want to tell it. And then you develop a community that you care about, you genuinely care about, and you build relationships with them. Whether you have 50 followers, you uh, answer every comment that you can, and you, you come to know them, and, um, and you, you, know, you give them the content that they ask for. Uh, if, if I was looking for, if somebody wanted to know how to earn an income on the road, I would say, well, what do you do now? And what, how can you translate to the road? Don't think you're just going to go out and be a YouTube star. Uh, you can certainly do stories, but are you good at repairs? Then, then do stuff about repairs. And if, if you uh, like art, you know, go around from art show to art show and, and uh, you know, sell stuff or buy stuff or, and document that about, you know, doing the art, you know, the big show season and, the se and every uh, summer there's all these art shows. Follow those around. What are your passions? You gotta care about it. You really have to care about it and live it and breathe it and sleep it and eat it and share it. Because it's so easy to fake this stuff, but it shows, you know, it shows in, in all these people who have 12 followers and can't understand why they can't grow. Yeah, without a doubt. No, I totally agree. I think the the thing I heard, I don't know who said it, where they said, you know, the, the RV life is an interesting life, but it doesn't make you interesting. And I thought that's, that's a very good saying, you know what I mean? Like I'd that, like to steal that. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. please do. I don't, I can't even quote who really said it. Sometimes I like to think I made it up, but then I realized that someone else came from it. But I think it draws from, I think Julia Roberts was famous for saying, you know, I'm not an interesting person because I'm a celebrity, you know, kind of a thing. Like that's not what makes me interesting. And she tried to fight back on that, that, you know, my, my job is interesting. It doesn't necessarily make me interesting. And, you know, it was profound to her to kind of call it out like that because everybody wants to be a celebrity. And she's like, yeah, it doesn't really make me all that great. Um, yep. I, yep. I like the feedback in the sense of, you know, someone that's creating this kind of content and it's gotten to the level and success that you have. I think it's important for people to hear that. I think a lot of people listening to the show are hoping to one day full time or sometime kind of RV. And I think a lot of them do have aspirations of creating content. And I always like to drop the I wish this technology was around when my grandparents were alive. I wish they were creating content because I would love to watch it. I'd actually even love to be watching what my parents were doing in their 30s and 40s and 50s. I think it's, and so there's a big drive for me that I don't have grandkids, but at some point, maybe my grandkids would be like, let's see what Pop-Pop was doing when he was 40 years old and creating all these videos, you know, it'll be fun for them. So you just, it is a weird kind of mindset. If you really set yourself up, we're going to make money doing it. It, you're probably not gonna, which is weird because it's that yeah. kind of business model. Yeah, that's absolutely it. Absolutely. You, you nailed it. So let's really quick talk about your work though. What is, I mean, I understand your audience, but what's your, if you had to say what your kind of your niche is, and then I'd like to hear from you what your favorite platform is, if it's blogging or podcast or video, but if you had to describe the content you're creating, how would you best describe it? Um, just, uh, I used to have a little saying that, it, you know, if people ask me, I said, well, I'm a journalist, uh, who is living the RV lifestyle and sharing the stories about the people and the places that we meet on the road. And I guess that's a, probably still a pretty good example of it. Uh, it's, uh, it's just following the things that interest us that we can only really discover through RV travel. And uh, th there's just so many thing examples. Uh, uh, my style of travel is very serendipity, and we do uh, the fewest amount of reservations possible. Mm. Reservations are pretty needed this year; <laughs> they really are. It's crazy out there, but they're still we're we're big boondockers, and so um, there's always a place to stay. 
but I seldom know where I'm going to be next week or even tomorrow afternoon. I don't know, you know, what we're going to find on the way, but it's the people you meet, you know, and not being afraid to go meet them. Uh, that's a, another thing. A lot of people, you know, are so uptight and, and are afraid to approach folks. We were, uh, I was just driving down uh, US 98, uh, not far from the Alabama border the other day. And there's a guy on, a, a, on an e-bike that came from Walmart and he's towing a trailer that has two big solar panels on it. So, I mean, I found the first place to pull over and I, I motioned the guy over and my goodness, I'm, I'm doing a video on him on, on Saturday on our, when we release our, our next video. This is a guy who had a, um, an ostomy, uh, basically his intestines are hanging outside of his body and he sold his house. He sold everything because he loves biking. That's his passion, biking and cross-country uh, touring. He had this terrible health emergency last year. They said you shouldn't bike. He found a way that he could. And he's on his way now to California from the east coast of Florida to California. And uh, I said, well, you know, are you homeless? Because that's what he kind of looked like at first. And his idea, he says, no, I'm home free. Mm. And his thing, I said, why are you doing this? And he said, well, you know, I love to bike. So there's the first thing. This is passion. Loves to back. I love to see new things. And he said, and I love to tell others about it. I said, well, how do you do that? And the guy said, well, I've, I have found three or four blogs that will pay me $100 a story to just write little travel stories about. And so I do. They're ghostwritten. It's not by him. He makes $350 a month. And he says, that's more than enough. He's doing just fine with it. And he's living his life. He's traveling with a cat, a feral cat that he tamed. And the and he's charging his e-bike with these solar panels. He built this system. He said something that I thought was really good. He said, you know, most people spend all their, their, their working days um, paying money to other people. They work so they can give money to other people, you know, to buy, to uh, pay for a mortgage on a house, to pay for your, your kid's education, to buy car insurance and new tires and all the credit card payments. And he, so he just stripped all that away he said, I want to spend the rest, as much time as I can in my life traveling on a bicycle. I love this. And then, uh, and then sharing it. That passion is what I think is what anybody who wants to succeed and earn a living in an RV has to have for your job, whatever you do, and for living this kind of a lifestyle. The RV lifestyle is a tough lifestyle. There's a lot of decisions that you have to make. It's very easy to get decision fatigue. I mean, every time you go to a new town, it's where's the nearest supermarket? You know, what I need drugstore. What where's the drugstore? Uh, what's the 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 best place to go get uh, oil in my uh, in my motorhome? You know, whatever it is, you're always making new decisions. And it becomes a challenge for a lot of people after a first couple of years and after the honeymoon of it, it runs out. So unless you have this passion, like my guy on the e-bike the other day, uh, it's, 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 it's not going to work long term for you. On the other hand, what's the worst thing that could happen? So many people are thinking, I want to try this RV lifestyle. And, and they should. The worst thing that could happen is not so bad at all. You try it for a year, a two, you find out it doesn't work out or it's time to move on. You've had some great experiences. You can check that off your list and then you can find something else to do. Right. So there's that mindset too, that it's worth trying and make a go of it, but nothing's permanent. You know, if, if you are out there with control of your life and you're trying to earn your own income on the road, you're not dependent on somebody else saying you got to be here at this time and work and do this and that you can, you can say, yeah, you can say no, you can say it's time to move on or it's time to go all in. Okay. And that's, 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 I think kind of a, a, the mindset that a successful RV lifestyle person has to have. No, I agree. And I think, you know, just, you know, again, your own story, having the opportunity to, you know, whether it's for a month or two or three or whatever, to just, you know, regroup and then get re-energized. Cause I bet, you know, we just went through a renovation in the rig. We were stationary for about three months and you really do start to kind of itch to get back on the road, which is really kind of helpful. So that kind of hybrid is always 
really good too. Uh, in and around content creating, kind of the last question here, and then we'll move into kind of exploring is, if you could only have one medium, whether video, blog, or the podcast, which one would you pick if you could only have one? Oh man, that is a tough one. I have asked myself that because as times, all, all of them have become so consuming. Right. I mean, it takes, it takes a lot of work to produce a video story every week. And there's many content creators, that's all they do. We do that and then we do an hour, our podcast is an hour long. And then um, we, we do all these books that we're working on across the country. That's what keeps us traveling and, and it, you know, having a goal kind of to, to, we love doing these, uh, we call them seven day adventure guides. They're uh, different regions of the country, what to see, what to do and making it easy for somebody who only has seven days or a week or two or however they spend it. And then our, our, our podcast and then our blog, which is what started it all, just my blog. And I guess I would say if I had to get rid of everything and just do one, it would probably be the blog. Uh, I love to write. I love to report. It's, I like the challenge of, of creating content. I'm used as a journalist to doing daily stories. You know, the saying in the, in the news business is, uh, that was uh, today. What are you doing for us tomorrow? Cause right. you never, you're never done, you know? Uh and, you know, there will be a come a time when we have to come off the road, you know, and health, who knows what it'll be, but that's still something I can do. I can still continue to write. I love, you know, with that comes photography and video and still pictures that you can lift from the video. So I'd say probably the blog would be the, I'll, I will do that until, um, until I drop over and don't do anything anymore ever because, <laughs> uh, but we plan to travel. You know, I just interviewed a guy who's 89 years old wow. and he's a solo traveler. His wife died a few years ago. And, and I, I did a video on him called you're never too old. And I started a hashtag that says that you're never too old. And I just checked with him and he is on a cross country trip. He's out in, um, in, uh, he's, he's coming back from California. He left Ohio and I think, uh, Christmas time to visit kids and along the way. And, He's toured up and down California and he's on his way back to the Midwest now from that. He's 89 years old. He's been to Alaska four times. He does his own maintenance on his RV. You know, you, you know, if the Lord gives you a good health, this is something you can do forever. I think that's what's inspiring you, about the, the kind of content that you and I are creating. It's not obviously all the Mike show or all the Damien show, but when people can see someone they can relate to, I don't know at 50 years old, if I can really relate to an 89 year old, but it does give me hope and joy to know that, man, it's possible that I could do this for another 39 years. But if I was 75 or 80 and I'm hearing about someone that's 89 doing it, that would really inspire me to think, okay, this is possible. And I think that's what's great about sharing those stories from all different shapes, sizes, colors, everything, because then people see themselves in these stories and they want to get out and do it. It's so funny. I'm getting email almost every day from uh from widows who say you know hey i i need somebody to travel with would you give him my name and can we talk and you know nice. he's not interested in that but you know he's 89 years old and he's got chicks sitting on him i <laughs> love it you know, i love it <laughs> yeah that's so great you're the batch baker hey so when yeah. you're when you're not working which i know is a lot and and you know you're not traveling what do you and the wife like to do what do you like to do in regards to like exploring and hobbies what's your kind of thing Oh gosh. Um, well, photography is a big hobby of mine. I really like photography and I've got a big wish list of all the stuff I want to do. And, uh, this year is uh, the year I want to master, uh, master, get that. <laughs> you never master it, but I really like to get familiar with taking, uh, astral photography, you know, uh, photos with a telescope at night, the night sky. Uh, so I love that. And see how even that, you know, dovetails really well with what we're writing about and talking about because I can share those pictures. Um, we love to hike. Um, we are big time hikers. We travel with a dog and that is a, a downside to the RV lifestyle. I mean, I, so many people say, oh, we love to have our dog with us. And, and we do, we'd never not, not go without our dog, but there's so many places you can't go. We can't do all day hikes. Uh, because we have a dog that, that can't go on most of those trails, particularly when you're out West in bear country, but we do like to hike. And so we always try, uh, we try to find places where we can walk the dog and bring him in, you know, and, and still get a, a nice hike a couple of times a day. Um, I think a big part of it is, is uh, just the, in, 
this this has to do with RVing, but it's still what we like to do. Is just we'll get in in the RV and we we know we want to head you know west or we're heading northwest today, and we we've got a general idea where we want to be in the next couple of days. But we literally just say, let's. What do you think's down that road? Mm. We did one last year uh, out in Arizona near Yuma, Arizona. We saw a sign said uh, museum ten miles, and it was in the middle of nowhere. Uh, and it was through the, uh, through the Yuma testing ground. So we took it, it was a paved road for about five miles, four or five miles. And then it was this horribly washboarded road. We kept saying, then we see a sign that says there's a museum. We finally found it 10 miles down. It was a mining museum and it was all surrounded by BLM property. So we knew we could camp anywhere we wanted there, which was even cooler and they had big horned sheep in these mountains that were right near us, which is great for the photography. But this mining, we got just visiting, wasn't even doing a story. We ended up truly doing a story on it, but we got to visit with this, the people. And they go, well, here, here's the owner now. And a guy came over and he started talking with us. We hit it off and he says, well, I'll show you something. And he took us down into an abind, abandoned copper mine that had this incandescent uh light when you put a black light on it in pitch blackness and put a black light on it just it looked like the galaxies the color and the beauty of the rocks we never would have seen that had we not gone down that road so long story in the middle of that by the way he showed us a pair of jeans that they found out of one of these abandoned mines he's bought the rights to them and is doing some exploring they were 1913 levi's and they were the original Levi's. It still had wax markings on it from the miners who used candles for illumination in the cave. That thing was worth tens of thousands of dollars. For sure. This abandoned pair of Levi's. So, you know, it, those are the kind of days that make it perfect for us. When we, we, we left there, we went, caught a great sunset and uh, boondocked under the stars, listened to the coyotes. And we said, can you believe we get to do this? So that's the part of our interest is the exploration that comes from serendipity things like seeing a sign that said desert or museum 10 miles this way down a road in the middle of nowhere. Um, that's our favorite thing to do. Find things that we never, we never would have found in a, in a guidebook and then put them in our own guidebooks. <laughs> <like that. laughs> so we like to do that too. Um, you know, my wife is a fitness instructor. That's been a challenge for us on the road. She uh, loves is a gym rat and loves gyms. And so uh, we've had to find a way to work that in. Um, but uh, there's all these great national chains of, of, uh, of fitness centers around the country. In our case, we joined Anytime Fitness, which has the, the beauty for an RVers. They always have clean uh, private showers so you can get unlimited hot water, you know, on a long boondocking trip. You got, you can do a workout and get a nice long shower. So um, she does like to work out as much as she can. And, and uh, I like to bike. We, uh, we, with a dog, it's, it's a challenge because you can't go off on multi-day trips, but we do like bicycle riding. Uh, I fish poorly, but, uh, <laughs> but for relaxation, also on my list this year is to learn how to fly fish and to do that in Montana. So uh, I think a key thing is just having this constant uh, bucket list of things that you want to do this year, not someday, but this year. Um, I wake up every morning. I can't wait for whatever the day's got ahead of us. You know, I was looking forward. I woke up this morning and say, I'm going to talk with Damien today. This was great. You know, and, and it is fun. It's fun to meet other people who have that same um, wanderlust uh, that we both uh, that we both have. Yeah, and I think a lot of people too. I mean, I, I love the bucket list idea, and I think a lot of people try to put really major, big things on their bucket list, and they don't realize the micro moments. Like you're talking about just going down this ten mile road when we drove through Moab, and you see all the people trying to go to Shri Shipwreck Rock or Shipwreck Martin, and there's there's mountains that aren't a national park that are beautiful. And if they made it a national park, everyone would want to go there. And I'm always yeah. like the, why do you want to go where it's so crowded when the mountain that's just four miles this way is just as it's pretty, empty. it just doesn't have a cool name to it. And so, I mean, I commend you for letting people know that, you know, I always laugh now. I didn't, when I was, you know, before this lifestyle, 
when people are like, yeah, we can't wait to travel. Can't wait to go to Europe. And I'm like, do you understand what's here in the United yeah. States? Do you have, have you really explored where you're from first before you like get on a plane? Cause there's amazing spots just here. So it's good to hear someone talk about those small moments and how they can turn into kind of big deals. One of the things I like yeah. to do kind of at the end of the show is ask for kind of a high low in this lifestyle. Um, and I do appreciate you being really transparent with the dog. Cause I think a lot of people don't realize that there are some things. And so, but so I'll make that where you can't talk about the dog, but, uh, and it can't be COVID can't be flat tire and it can't be that internet sucks. Cause those things do happen, but what's been a low in the lifestyle that you just didn't expect. I think, um, probably the, the, the one thing that nobody really talks about is loneliness. Uh, you know, you are out there a, a long time. I'm, despite the fact that I'm a journalist and I tell stories and I'm always, you know, sharing our life, I'm, I'm fairly an introvert. Uh, you know, I can go days without seeing another human being and I'm good. You know, I can, I can go on and uh, update a post on the, the blog or share something on social media. And that's my contact. I'm happy. Um, it's harder, uh, for, for my traveling companion, for Jennifer. I mean, uh, she's, uh, she, she misses, uh, contact sometimes when we're on those longer trips. And I think, you know, when people are honest, um, it, it's, it's very hard. Um, you end up missing family. Uh, we use our RV to visit family as much as we can, but, um, that is the, that the, we're not meant to be islands. So, you know, the challenge is always to develop other communities. And we have, we have friends now that are all over the country that we, that we, that we see and are in communication with, but for close family, when you travel all the time, there is that loneliness. And I think that's a, a load that, uh, and people need to be aware of that, that that will happen. Um, you know, some of us handle it better than others. Um, I think the highs come from you know, those nights in the desert, when you look at the sky at night, I mean, it, it literally takes your breath away. When you really get out there, when you don't hear any noise, uh, our rule of a good boondocking spot is where I can walk outside the RV and I don't hear any engines, no airplanes, no traffic noise, nothing. And it's amazing how many things you, you can hear out there, but the, the sky, um, we found, and then just not being afraid to try things that um, you never would have done before. Last week, we boondocked on a bombing range, literally, at the Eglin Air Force Base. We found this place where they have 14 campgrounds and the largest forested military reserve in the world. We've been coming down the Emerald Coast for like, you know, six years now. And I never knew that it was that big. I knew it was here. But they have these places where the public can go and camp. And um, some of them are pretty rough. And you do hear the, the bombs dropping. So there goes my rule about, you know, noises. But you do hear bombs dropping at night. They practice on ranges not too far from you. But it was, we were all alone. And if I was getting a vehicle and drive, I was 15 minutes from these awesome tourist populated beaches on the Emerald Coast. But 15 minutes out into this Air Force Reserve where you could camp was just spectacular, beautiful uh, scenery outside, and we were all alone. So that, that's another one of those things where you come out and you say, this is, this is really great. This is really great. Um, oh, another awesome. time for me is, is that morning cup of coffee. Mm. I, make, I get up first and I get up early. And I'm usually up at sunrise when we're boondocking and I make that coffee and no matter how cold it is, I, we winter camp in the snow all the time, but I, I will take that coffee outside and just drink it and, and look and smell and be one with this awesome world that we can get in close contact with. Cause we traveled in a small RV. It's filled with many more of those than there are of the low, the low spots. Yeah. Without a doubt. And I think that, you know, a lot of the full timers that I've spoken to that don't boondock, I don't think they're getting the reset that they really need. If you just go from campground to campground, even state park, the state park, national park, there's just yeah. such an amazing reset that happens when you're out boondocking, you know, even if it's slightly crowded, it's still a different experience. And it's completely different. And you don't need all that stuff that you think you need at a campground. I call them tinaminiums because, <laughs> 
you know, these people are 10 feet from you and you've got a fire pit on two different sides and noises and people with their TV, outdoor TV. Why do you need an outdoor TV? I know everybody's different, but, you know, that's just not, I don't need that, you know? I don't need to live in a tinaminium complex. So we we do a lot of boondocking. And, uh, and most people I don't think can. Most people aren't that comfortable. They're afraid of being alone. That's the best part of boondocking in my book. And uh, and there are so many places to go. But uh, it's the fear of the unknown, uh, you're right. too. It's just that they yeah. haven't done it. I mean, I we've boondocked many times where people show up and they're, you know, 25 feet from you and it's a five mile area. And you're like, what are you doing? Yeah. You don't have to be yeah. this close to another human. Go, go a mile away. We can still see each other. We just don't have to be that we close. We were. We found these, we like, uh, when we visit the North uh, Grand Canyon, we love the North Rim. It's less populated for one thing, uh, but the views are just spectacular there. But you can't camp anywhere near there. The campgrounds are always filled and the National Park campgrounds, those are, you know, in general, nobody tells you this, but most of the National Park campgrounds are pretty trashy. You know, they're old, the infrastructure doesn't work. But right outside of the Grand Canyon, I think three miles away is all, uh, dispersed camping. Mm-hmm. We found these incredible spots, but I remember the, the last time we were there, we, we, we were all alone. I had a elk walk through as, as I was looking out the window and I got up in the morning, the next morning, and there was somebody in a pop-up tent, literally 15, 20 feet from us. <laughs> and I said, what's up with this? And uh, we got to talk with them later and I didn't, I wasn't rude or anything, but I just was curious. And so well, how'd you pick this spot? And they said, oh, we saw your unit. We figured it was safe. They were from Europe and they thought, you know, that every American was running around ready to shoot somebody. And so we had coffee with them and I told them they didn't have to camp there. They could camp anywhere and that it really is safe out here. But there's that a lot of people are very, are very fearful. And, and um, that's not, not the way we choose to live our life either. We, you know, we've never had a bad experience. Never. Same. So, yeah, no, and that's in nine years, not one. Yeah, no, I agree. Now, I want people to be able to to find you, and um, obviously, I'll write all this down in the show notes. But, Mike, where can people find your podcast, your blog, videos? Where can people search for you and find you? Just rvlifestyle.com. Um, that was the smartest thing I did a few years ago. I was able to get that domain name, and it's so easy. And that's it's, it's our life. That's, that describes what we do. We talk about the RV lifestyle. So just rvlifestyle.com and that will lead you to our books, podcasts, videos, blog posts, anything you want. And you can contact us through there and um, see our stuff and uh, ask questions. We love to meet new people and rvlifestyle.com. Sounds great. Mike, thanks so much for coming on the show and hanging out and chatting with me and telling your story. Oh, it's great to be rootless with you, Damien. Thank <laughs> you, sir. Love it. Well, another great episode. It was super fun to have Mike on the show, especially that he had me on his show. It's always nice to be able to go kind of back and forth like that. I do highly recommend checking out any one of his channels and give him a follow and let him know that Rootless Living sent you. Also, just a friendly reminder, if you're enjoying the Rootless Living podcast or the magazine, make sure to let your friends and family know by sharing us on your favorite social media channel. It's a really big help in getting the word out. And if you use the hashtag Rootless Living, we'll share it as well. And like always, if you think you know someone that would make a good guest, or that guest might even be you, it's totally okay to nominate yourself. Just send us an email at podcast at rootlessliving.com. Again, that's podcast at rootlessliving.com. And let's see if we can help tell your story. Until next week, stay rootless.